0: I, wish I had a pilot in a podcast. I wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing boss skags. I wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yo. I wish I was a comedian. Late-night sitcoms syndicated on TV land. This well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth, you can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like it's like. I wish, I wish, that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, that every time we do it it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish it feels just like this. It feels. Just like this. It feels wish I had a time machine, wish I had a better rhyming speed Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from a lime bean I wish that I could spread my wings, I wish that I had seven limbs, yeah That way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things I wish I spoke fluent Spanish, dime lo. at least I kinda understand
1: it and, like and welcome so to another lost. episode of The Debrief. I am your host, Brianna Joy Gray, and I am back on this Monday I I evening, a little later than usual, to talk about lab leak theory, some recent validation from some unexpectedly mainstream sources, specifically Jeffrey Sachs, who is on Lancet uh, science, one of the leading science magazines, science journals on Lancet's. COVID uh, investigation board, or rather he's the chair of this COVID committee, and he has been pushing back against the establishment consensus. That lab leak theory is a real nothing burger, a real nothing to see here situation. He came on the podcast and discussed. We also talked a little bit about Ukraine, Russia. It's also Memorial Day weekend. We've had a tough couple of weeks in politics in general and obviously can talk about whatever's on your mind. It's a little bit late, i'm a little bit tired my flight was delayed so i literally walked to my apartment about 20 minutes ago and scarfed down the food i had delivered to intercept me at the front door <laughs> so i hope you'll excuse me if i'm a little bit scattered uh but let's get right to it let's take questions Jan, you're up first
2: what's good can you hear me
1: i can what's on your mind this evening
2: uh, i'm I just wondering um thinking about um like the conversation you know with the uh, lab leak theory and um really just uh thinking about how like the media really just tried to kill you know pretty much just like kill that that whole perspective mm-hmm. and what i'm trying to think of ways what we can do on, like on the left to try to avoid try to avoid the um, the mainstream just just ending any type of like discussions about more so about things that we're in like in alignment with you know because the shit that happened with parlor was like super like crazy and like scary to me like how Everybody just, how um, everybody was just okay with uh, the with, with um, site basically just getting kicked off the internet with no type of like recourse.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that part of it is that, I was thinking about this today as I got into a little bit of um, trouble on <laughs> Twitter, that uh, there's so much of my behavior that is constrained by this feeling that I think a lot of folks on the left are we have that we have to be legitimate so much of the <clears> criticism <throat> that the left gets is like you're not serious and not real you don't have the imprimatur of legitimacy that a msnbc or something gives you you're just bread tube you're just the internet you're just the fringe you're not one of the two major parties You shouldn't be a part of the conversation and there's so much that is like a little bit of um it's they think the left will punch down at each other to distinguish itself from what it seems it feels to be it's like less serious elements i think that's a little bit what's happening around force of vote for instance and today i decided you know I, I realized like why am i pretending why am i still playing this game where it's like oh i don't want to be seen as illegitimate because i didn't vote for biden let's you know i'm gonna keep like talking tongue-in-cheek about like maybe i did but if you want my vote you gotta do expert. Just be like, no, I didn't, and you know, I won't again unless you actually give people something. So, why yeah. do I say that? I say that because I think that, that was going on a little bit with the lab league stuff, where to the extent that people really didn't know what was going on, the fact that there was an establishment consensus made some on the left not want to necessarily push back, especially since it's still an unknown unknown. But people, you know, if that's not your main focus, because it's not so as much of a, it's not as much of a kind of economic material concern as some of the things the left has been focused on, then why get into the muck on something that's going to do nothing but tarnish your reputation as like a, a crazy fringe person? And I think that that really hurt what could have been more discourse around lab leak and broader COVID issues on the left, so that now the right really mm-hmm. owns several issues that are very motivating for folks and which aren't all wrong.
2: True. Sure. It's like, I don't know what it is about about the left i don't i don't feel like i don't feel like there's a real push to to create power like on the left to make ourselves like bulletproof for like certain for certain like attacks that um like mainstream liberals or even like people on the right would do and I, I don't know if it's because I don't know because i think that the left doesn't have a a particular like unifying like world view of think like the right does like I think like, like the mean? left well, like the left, we think of like we 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 rally around like more so like policies like we rally around like um you know like Medicare for all or like fifteen dollar uh, minimum wage and you know other like uh, policies that will that will go towards um go towards like a betterment for life but we don't really have a like an ideology of how we think. I don't think we have a real ideology of how we think our how our society should actually work like people on the right. Mm-hmm. Like people on the right have a view of what they think the a family should look like. People on the right have a view of of um what are what our like our culture, what their cultural centers should look like, which normally like is a church and everything. And what, oh, should, yeah. what should be mm-hmm. like taught in school and that like yeah. unifies them against like everything else. Like the best case for that would be like how like the Christian right pretty much like um coalesced around Trump even though he wasn't you know mm-hmm. wasn't like in you know, some hard like off Christian but because they they all they can coalesce around their particular world view at the end of the day which makes them you know like more powerful in a way and I don't think the left really really we really have that, you know?
1: Yeah that's interesting. You know Iron Me Frim Pong talks about things like that and mm-hmm. while I don't you know obviously entirely agree with hundred percent of his framing, I do think there's something to you know, having some kind of culture that's there to fill in the space between the issues, you know, it. it you know, even if you're not entirely locked up with everything an, an organizing ethos, you know, the, the right is very good at getting yeah. those scripts, you know, whether it's small government. Okay, why do I care if a government's small? People, you know, people love government programs who still think the government should be small. You know, these conservatives would be like, don't touch my Social Security, but also small government. You know, it doesn't make sense that. and ideologically consistent. But it's a script, you know. With the Supreme Court stuff, they had you know activist judges. We don't want activist judges. We want originalism. These things are made up, and conservative judges are not bound to the text in any way. They create law. They are also activist judges. Everybody's just doing politics from the bench, That's but right. they have a script. They they put a name to it, and that and it creates a reality. And on the left, if on the liberals, liberals have this kind of. Um, cringy shamey like we're just the good guys but it's very reactionary it's like compared yes. to them compared to them how dare you criticize me because compared to them we're so much better i've got you know a coexist mm-hmm. bumper st- side, a bumper sticker on my car or whatever
2: yeah like there's no like, like you put a uh, i think you put a right in saying like there's no like univ- unifying culture on the left like it is on 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 the right i think maybe for like a couple of reasons for uh, us trying to have like a, a multiracial, multicultural, you know, like coalition that um, we don't, that I kind of, I think that kind of makes us afraid to actually talk about like certain cultural issues and trying to be like honest about certain things. You know, like, I think like the left is uh, for the most part is wildly dis- uh, dishonest in how they view, you know, like um, black people, like black voters, like mm-hmm. saying like, cause they don't, because they don't understand that a lot of black people are like culturally conservative and like if it wasn't for like the Republican party just being racist. A lot of black people more, a lot more black people being like a Republican party, but like that's having to understand, you know, like, uh, have to, we have to get more into the weeds of like culture. And I don't think, um, I think we just try to unify so much on, on, um, economic goals that so we don't really try to answer those questions and create, you know, a unifying culture on the left. And that, then that leaves them more vulnerable to, yeah. you know, by a lot of the text.
1: What's so interesting is that, you know, people point to the Bernie movement as something that united us all and disguised our differences, but it wasn't, I don't think just that he was so prominent. It was that as kind of, uh, you know, not flowery <laughs> and kind of, you know, bare bones. He, yeah. as he was, there was something that was so refreshingly humanistic about the way he framed arguments that it did start to feel almost spiritual. When you start talking about, you know, caring, you know, treating your neighbor the way that, you know, whatever this little thing it was. And I've forgotten, like, you know, vote, you know, you know, vote, like act, act politically in the way that you would for the person next to you. If you were advocating for the person next to you, not meet us You know, talking and framing issues in terms of basic human rights, not getting into the weeds of all these arguments about like, well, can we pay for this and that and the other and be like, look, in this richest country in the history of the world, we have starving children. We have people who can't afford health care. Argue, argue. Tell me why that should be the case. Tell me why that. the onus is on you to tell me why that should be the case because every human life is valuable. And that's that's the unspoken part of everything that he said, right? The, mm. old, the, the neoliberal worldview only works if you think a um, profit motive meets the needs of people who are dying. You know, like, oh, some people are going to fall through the cracks. That's a very neoliberal Methodology, And it, it, if you force people to really confront what that means, it means that they do not think all lives are valuable. They think that your ability mm-hmm. to get healthcare is contingent on how much money you have. And that's so anti exactly. every spiritual exist, uh, tradition that's ever existed. And I think the left backs away from some of that because we're so disproportionately agnostic and atheist and, and not spiritual, but I, I that's what moved me. Whatever my religion is, that's what moved me about Bernie. And I mm. think that we can have that without Bernie.
2: Yeah. Most, most definitely, like we. But I right, think someone you don't to, know. Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I think, mean, but this goes more to the thing where, I, like I say, when I said earlier, I don't think like the left is like really, you know, really worried about or like concerned about having power, you know, having power to actually, you know, do like uh, do those things. So, like if after the twenty, after the twenty twenty, um, after the twenty twenty election. I really thought there was going to be a big push in the movement to get mm-hmm. Bernie to, Bernie to create an independent party. Like, especially because I thought like, all right, Bernie's like, not to be morbid, but like Bernie's old as shit now. Like, mm-hmm. I don't see Bernie running again. And, and it's like, yeah, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't, I didn't think of uh, Bernie's going to have any type of plan of running again. Like the party and establishment already like screwed him twice. I mm-hmm. thought like, all right, now, now they just like, he doesn't have, he shouldn't have any reason to really like go along with them. Like, this should be the moment where, you know, we could coalesce and like break apart, you know, like from the party to actually have some type of, you know, some type of power. But, you know, so it doesn't seem like we're willing to do any, like any real, you know, like efforts or pushes to, like, to create power. Like, we don't really try to push, like, go for like guvatorial uh, races. Like, we like to bring up that when Obama came in office that he, a lot, we lost a lot of, like state houses, but there's never any talk about, okay, what we're going to do to try to get these state, state houses back, you know, like there's no. Well,
1: from the left know, perspective, the whether you or not, you agree with it. I think that many, and and you guys, please chime in and tell me if you think I'm misdiagnosing how people are feeling. I think there's a lot of frustration that liberals, Democrats haven't had their eyes on the ball with respect to, with respect to governor's races. Mm. And obviously the Senate and House are about to lose, and all of these judicial appointments and all of those things. Mm-hmm. But also, I think there's this feeling on the left, like almost th- there's. I mean, people have d- divested so much from dem- like uh, 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 um, establishment politics that the idea that the left would be the ones to say, "Okay, get your ducks in a road. Democrats. We gotta win." You know, the, the, the yeah. Georgia governor's race. And we got all lined sure? up behind, you know, Stacey, like, those, that, that just feels like not even our job anymore. And, yeah, like, we've been I, kicked I, I so that. many times. <laughs> yeah, and, like, like we want I, them I to get, get their act together. But that's part of what feels so frustrating about getting into, you know, drama like I'm, you know, it was in all day on Twitter. Sorry, I was too online today, guys, but I was waiting around at airports and stuff until and so I had a lot of time in my hands. <laughs> um, but the... You know, it's when, when liberals are like, oh, blaming the left for losing elections or being brats and children for not letting go of very basic promises that Biden made when he was running.
3: Mm.
1: It's like you might have a little bit of a point if your own party hadn't been behaving with such enormous negligence that whatever I'm doing over here in the corner of the Internet should be the least of your concerns. You know,
2: yeah. My, and, and so I, Yeah, go ahead. I- no, go ahead uh, i'm saying like that's like that's still more so you know like coming from the perspective of really um of really trying to like partner up and be with uh trying to partner up and be with the, the mainstream like democratic party uh, you know i'm more so in in pushing for like getting away getting away from a democratic party especially when we look at especially like on like a, not not so much on like the federal uh the national level because we we, we we just just I don't think there's any like way in the near future we're gonna um be able to make like any real real um pushes for that. But more so on the locals and, like state levels, like we have we have um we have like blueprints and maps of how we can actually like do things like to win to win power. Like Kishama Swan is one of, like mm-hmm. the biggest, you knows one of the biggest um examples like of that. Like you know, like not not a Democrat, you know like not and especially too too when we talk about like getting getting pushback from the main like democratic party and everything. I, when I look at that, like the same criticism that um, I will look at, like Bernie, like people are going to like how we look at Republicans, how like the bad faith, Um, the bad faith, uh, like criticism we get from them. Like, look, no matter who a Democrat run, they are going to get called like a socialist. So we might as well just take, take the mantle and like do it anyway. I feel like the same way, like on the left in regards like the Democrats, like mainstream Democrats, you know, like they're going to come at us, like uh, w- a certain type of way, anyway, we might as well just run with it, you know, in order like to actually get the stuff that we want to, you know, that we want to get done. Like we can run, we can run um, state it's like we can flip like a lot of state houses because it's not a lot, of, not a lot of votes. It doesn't take that much, you know, like to flip just like a, a extra thousand or so and, and and get an extra thousand or so voters in pretty much any municipality. Then you know we can you can run like at least a school board or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I said there's just no there's no real organizing <laughs> to actually get. I don't feel like at least there's no real like organizing to get like stuff more so in the immediate, you know, like that.
1: Well, I wouldn't be the best person to talk to about that, but people in the chat should definitely weigh in if they feel like there are things going on in their municipalities that folks on the call should know about so that they can support or at least feel heartened that there are things afoot that are positive in America. Thank you for calling in, Jan. Gotcha. All right, Andrew, you're up next. What's on your mind this evening?
4: Well, geez, I was going to talk about, I was going to go right into lab leak stuff and convention on biological weapons, but then jam and you were having such a good, uh, back and forth. I'm not 100% sure.
1: <laughs> well, shoot, shoot, you know, shoot your shot, Andrew. Talk about whatever is on your mind. I'm sure anything, anything that you have to say is, has, contains a germ for an equally good conversation we are we are what polyglots? I don't know what's is that the right word? We all have very diverse interests here.
4: Ooh, I do want to know the word for that. Polyglot is like when you can That's speak. A lot of names, a lot, a lot, a lot of, of languages. Word
1: languages, yeah.
4: Yeah. But no the um the the main thoughts that kinda of distilled in my mind when you and Jam were talking is that uh why is it that it seems a lot easier I think you've talked about this before on your podcast or at least I would assume you'd have a good take on this. Um, Why can't the left envision a successful societal vision as easily as we can envision dystopia? I mean, there's kind of the, I don't know. I'm sure there's memes about it. I don't actually know a whole lot of memes, but about like um, left is predicting the revolution like four times for every revolution or probably way more Mm -hmm. than four times, honestly. Mm -hmm. But that is interesting that you and Jam brought that up. Like, we do have these policy visions, and I do think that stitched together by an eloquent person, such as yourself or Bernie or somebody, um, that can be that can be a really coherent um, vision, and the the kind of vision casting and the um, the imagery of something like that I think can you know be just as effective. Um, and then also, I won't dive into it too much because otherwise, I'm just I'll just go on and on and on, but the kind of, at least the, the rhetoric of a religious figure like Jesus or to some extent, I guess, uh, the Buddha, um, I think that can resonate with people on the left a lot more. Like, I wouldn't consider myself religious. Um, I definitely, you know, I have nothing to say about whether or not there's a God or whatever, but I at least know that from my interpretation, Jesus was a radical anti-imperial figure that the Romans literally crucified for being too effective at, you know, convincing people to not, you know, pay into the Roman tax system, for instance, Mm. or, um, or kind of decry the accumulation of private wealth um, as an immoral uh, situation and, and kind of really championed the sort of ethos that you should care for everybody, like as a, you know, community care, as a, first priority. Um, So anyways, those are some things that popped up in my head around the the talk. As for why Bernie didn't start, try to start a new party. I think Chris Hedges and, and Jimmy Dore have, I mean, I I agree with their take, basically. I think he didn't want to become a Ralph Nader, I think, or, or Cynthia McKinney to a lesser extent, but you know, he didn't want to get demonized or completely shut out of the media. There's some, some level of um, his life and lifestyle as a senator he would rather have than than risk that for a real to fight really fight for the vision that he articulated so well
1: well it's difficult that one's, I, i'm 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 with that explanation i've heard that explanation i've repeated that explanation a part of me does wonder though you know you go 40 years of your life more being ostracized and being the long shot candidate and being the only or one of the only independents in Congress. And, you know, being at an age where, I mean, I just have a hard time thinking that anyone would care that much about your, your the perception of you after you die. And then, like, there's a difference between immediately after you die versus, like, 30 years or 100 years later when things can look very different. You know, just to bank on the short term in that way. The longer I think about it, and the more you hear these stories about, you know, Cori Bush being allegedly threatened out of supporting <laughs> Nina Turner and some vagueness about what those threats really were, it does seem to me, as we see all of these squad members, who, many of whom I think are really decent people who really wanted to do well, who came from backgrounds that would dispose them to not casually step away from their priorities. You And know, when I see them kind of bend the knee, and I wonder about whether we are all grossly underestimating the nature of the threats at hand. That's not, I don't say that as an excuse. I just say that to say that, you know, sometimes I wonder if there were, if there is something else operating here that I would, you know, I think is more understandable than just, I want to be remembered nicely, especially since I I considered Ralph Nader to be an American hero. And I would be overjoyed if I were remembered as Ralph Nader.
3: That's a
4: that's a I think that's probably the most convincing uh, alternative to the other point that I made. I I guess I yeah I would say I agree with the points that Chris and Jimmy have made. But you do you do make a lot of really I think compelling points there. And and you know I think we we shouldn't underestimate how diabolical some of the people who really run this country are, despite the kind of really boring uh, veneer or this kind of spreadsheet um this sort of spreadsheet aesthetic that dc can have sometimes and remember back to you know a five years or six year span where um the fbi and the cia murdered jfk rfk mlk jr malcolm x and fred hampton um and you know (laughs) i i look at people like um in, you know, in Latin America right now, turning the tides electorally or movement wise, or I look at people like Christian Smalls and think like, man, we got to have um, some really fucking trustworthy, like public secret service people for these people. Uh, but you, can you I raise a you good a, point. Like, Oh, go can ahead. I tell sorry. you
1: a truly unhinged thought I had as I was flying to Cleveland on Friday.
4: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was going to ask was, where you're going.
1: Oh, okay, I was, go ahead, I'm sorry. just getting back from Cleveland, but I was sitting on the, we were sitting on the plane, and before we took off, I heard one of the um, flight attendants say to another, "We had 16 no-shows, and it was it's like a tiny little, it's like a tiny little, little plane that just flies hour flight to from DC to Cleveland. We've yes. had 16 no-shows. I was like, 16 no-shows." And I had this thought flit across my mind like, oh, they pulled everybody important off the flight because this flight's going down. (laughs) This is how they're going to get me. (laughs) I know that's so, that's so unhinged. But I had this, I had this like pathological thought, like, okay, it's, you know, so just just, just so you guys know, it's not an accident. Avenge me.
4: <laughs> oh, down. I'm definitely not going to believe it's an accident. <laughs> like you just, you know, drop dead suddenly. I, you know, I think it's pretty, I, you know, my best guess is that Michael Brooks had like some kind of already existing condition or a blood clot from COVID that had, you know, kind of under the radar symptoms. But Every once in a while I'm like, well, he was compelling. I mean he had a similarly sized subscriber base to you, although I think you've exceeded that now, but um
5: yeah I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't yeah. underestimate
4: your impact when you're you know dismantling um Rokana and if we're taking a less charitable view of some of the more progressively rhetoric filled <laughs> uh congress people. It seems like uh you know if Roe and a o c those types are." are trying to build up a, a credibility or political capital, I think is a good term for that. Uh, and then spend it later to achieve a, a you know, a party uh, goal or their own personal ambition. You're a dangerous figure for those type of people. Well,
1: so, I don't uh, look, I I'd have your flight didn't go down a, a thousand times more annoying uh, and more of a threat to the establishment. I actually am with my little podcast and my stupid tweets um, to actually justify anything like that. But, you know, I, it obviously yes, is not beyond yeah. the government. And they've done things like that in the past. And, you know, the goal is to be that annoying. You know, the yeah. goal is to become that inconvenient. So Yeah, to
4: get to the, yeah. the Fred Hampton level. Can I put in one more two cents about um, yeah. the lab leak stuff? Sure, of course. Um, I really uh, enjoyed the interview you did. I got to figure out why my bank isn't paying anything on Patreon so I can actually see the full (laughs) interviews and shit, but um, I thought it was interesting and I was really happy that you and Sachs went into the territory of Ukraine as well in that discussion because, you know, there, there are these laboratories that the U.S. and, you know, various agencies within the U.S., whether it's kind of semi-private NGO funding or whatever Mm -hmm. are doing. And, And I think it's important like to realize, you know, the timing of the, the misinformation board, um, which, you know, luckily tanked for the time being, but certainly those type of efforts are not over. I can't, I can't help but think that one of the really primary things they wanted to put down was any talk about these, uh, bio research facilities in Ukraine. Uh, there's, there's been a lot of people who are very credible, who have argued over the years that the U S has really played at the very least kind of brinksmanship with where is the red line for the, the, the prohibition of biological weapons convention at the mm. UN mm. and also Cuba has alleged very credibly, even to the UN, which of course kind of gets swatted down with the U S permanently on the security council. But Cuba has alleged numerous mm. biological attacks. The U S has carried out to destroy their agricultural industry primarily, mm. but other, other communicable diseases to humans as well. And I can't help but think that, um, you know, the labs in China could be sort of a, a ripcord In the U.S.'s view, if if China ever gets off of the kind of Deng Xiaoping, you know, neoliberal reforms to further development and leans back really hard to the left. um, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't put the thought out of my head that these type of laboratories are kind of a policy for at the very least defamation, if not something like what's been alleged uh, by that Bulgarian woman. I can't remember her name or by the Russians themselves. They've alleged that the U.S. was experimenting with swine no, it's avian flu, excuse me. Mm. Avian flu variants. And they were seemingly from the paperwork, which again, again, hasn't been like really widely hardcore verified, but they, they alleged that they were trying to uh co- you know engineer the virus in such a way that it would be far more transmissible to people mm-hmm. with uh, DNA from sort of Slavic lineages. Mm. So that so that was some interesting stuff that came up and and I think that was the one the one part where I thought I was, you know, I I, was, I wasn't I was unhappy with anything Sachs said. It was, you know, refreshingly surprising to see him going this hard on this issue, like you mentioned. But when he said everybody he's talked to has said, oh, it couldn't be intentional. This leak could not have been right. intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, this That's not a, you know, for for someone who was for the whole rest of the interview being very, I think, measured and keeping a really balanced view about, being objective and saying that, you know, we should take these claims very seriously, but I'm not going to go beyond the realm of uh, plausibility into declaring what I think is the truth, Mm -hmm. except for when he and all these scientists basically made a political statement without a scientific basis saying that there's no plausible way this could have been released intentionally when if we're taking serious some of the claims from like, the syphilis uh, experiments, not only for Tuskegee but in also in Latin America, like in Guatemala in the 80s, uh, and other places, or the biological attacks on Cuba, it's something we should not rule out. So, anyways, I'll, I'll cut yeah,
1: it. <laughs> no, thank, no, thank thank you for that, Andrew. I think you're right. I was almost, you know, I was surprised, but kind of pleasantly surprised that he said what I think everyone is thinking, which is that when you the the fact of clearly trying to cover up. I mean, like, there's no other way to describe it. If you at a time when you couldn't possibly know something factually are insisting on one factual outcome over another, over another plausible alternative outcome, then it's hard to understand why someone would do that unless they're intentionally trying to misdirect you. And you you would only try to intentionally misdirect someone if you knew that the other outcome was the real truth and you were trying to hide that. So at a certain point it's like, I don't, I don't know if likely theory is true, but I understand human nature And I understand you don't spread a lie about your certainty of knowing it wasn't, you know, from a lab unless you're trying to cover up that it was from a lab. Like, offer me an alternative explanation and I'll back off of that. But it does, that is like the biggest red flag in the world. We also want to point out to some people in the chat talking about Ralph Nader being on the podcast. Ralph Nader has been on the podcast. um, I would say probably in the spring of last year, maybe it was the fall of 2020, I think it was probably january february march of last year though and you should definitely check that out but i will reach out to see if he is interested in coming back on the podcast i love that episode many clips of it are on youtube he did not appear by video regrettably but maybe we can get him to use the video technology next time around i don't hold it against him it was still a really compelling episode um i'm gonna go ahead and play it, a clip from the from the episode as i do sometimes but i also just happened across this nancy pelosi clip i don't know if you guys are following the story about her husband being arrested for a dui a couple of nights ago i think it was at 4 30 in the morning um and being booked which i thought was interesting i haven't really followed up on any of the details but this is her i believe giving a commencement address and waxing philosophical about um the values of patriotism let's see what's going on here with old nance one, One line that, really that I love oh, Wait, whoa, whoa, two things are playing. What's playing, Brianna? What's going on? Oh, sorry, that was Shama doing a live stream with RBN people in the background. My bad. Great content. You should check that out.
3: One line that I love in the Star Spangled Banner
6: is, and our flag is still there. Our flag is still there because of our men and women in uniform. Our flag is in, still there because they make us the home of the braid and the land of the free." As we say in the, on the
3: military, on the battlefield, we leave no soldier behind. And when they come home, we leave no veteran behind or their families. So
6: as,
5: as Kathy said, we should observe it every day as of, Memorial Day,
3: as a day that we pay tribute.
1: One line that I love. Okay, I actually didn't mind that. I mean, it is what it is. We, we can have a debate about patriotism. I know some people don't like my patriotism take on the left, but when we're talking about scripts and cultural narratives and stuff to have that one just there where people are already hooked into it and allow the conservatives to create this really warped version of what did you mean to like love your country and support your fellow man, like support your fellow man, LOL. They don't even say anything like that. No one even pretends that's the thing. And the idea that that's all right there and that leftists aren't saying, okay, well what if, what I think it means to be, A good citizen is to try to make this country better and support other people who are in this country with me and support people who have families because those are going to people going to be paying into my social security, support people with student debt because those are the people who are going to become my doctors. Support, support, support. Um, But I know that there's some reasonable counter arguments to the patriotism take. Eric, unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind this evening.
7: Hey, how's it going, Brie?
1: I'm doing all right. Thank you. A little tired, but can't complain.
7: I understand. I understand. So the one thing that I really wanted to talk about was it just hit me because I was on Twitter and I saw that um, a Biden thing was getting retweeted by a lot of people about how he said, when he was talking about the, what happened in Uvalde, Texas, mm-hmm. about how he's just leaving that up to, t- um, to the Congress. Mm-hmm. And what that got me thinking, because like the one thing that was kind of keep getting me to like, okay, I'll vote for the Dems. I'll do this type of stuff was I have a lot of friends who are in, you know, trans communities who are in the LGBT communities and they will always say, well, this is, this vote is to protect me, mm-hmm. to protect them. And when I, and after the years, I'm like, they're not even doing that. They're not protecting them because you, if you look at all the uh, anti-trans laws getting passed, Mm-hmm. in Florida, in Texas, in all these right wing states, when you look at um what's happening with abortion rights, which is probably the which is probably the thing that just tipped me over the edge that it's just a facade. They're, they, they just keep doing the same voting is not going to protect you. It's it's, it's like a, a a fake comfort blanket kind of. And then,
1: yeah. And I mean we, yeah. Mm-hmm. On, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I, I just agree. It's like there's this very relativistic, I mean, somewhat subjective view that about who is being protected, whether they're being protected enough, what the role of the Democratic Party is. And that's the fundamental divide between lefts and liberals. what has been going on on the Internet all day today. It's why people, you know, it's the the reason I kind of snapped today and stopped pretending about Joe Biden even a little bit um, And I'm openly calling for people to withhold their votes on Twitter, which is the thing that we've been doing here for a long time, but not so much on Twitter is I I don't as long as you act afraid of your shadow, you're not going to get anything. And maybe you still won't get anything, but uh, they're on some level pretending like we're we're complicit in liberals believing that shoring up the Democratic Party, like putting a band aid over this an an effectual thing, voting for them. It it legitimizes the whole enterprise. And what I really love about the student debt argument is that it's, it's something he can do by executive order. He can't pivot to Congress. It's something that he explicitly promised himself. So you can't argue to me, oh, well, Bernie lost, so now it's Biden's agenda. No, homie, like he said that. Like I'm not making this up. I want full debt cancellation for everybody in the moon and the stars. But at very least, he said 125,000 and under, everybody gets full debt cancellation. HBCUs and all of the things he said about that, or he, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I love it because it is an opportunity to test something that I've been wanting to test for a long time, which is normally when you withhold your vote or you don't vote, you're blamed for the outcome. What happens if well in advance of an election, we're two years out from that election, presidential election, you say my vote can be earned, but this is the contingency. And it's something that you said you would do and you can do and don't have to ask anybody's permission for, for, for. at that point, whose fault is it? If you don't get the votes, I guess. And, I guess and liberals the- are now basically saying, I would rather Yell at Brianna Joy Gray on the Internet. Trying to convince her that she's, you know, irrational or selfish. OK, I'm irrational. OK, I'm selfish. OK, I'm deranged. Cool story. That doesn't get my vote. <laughs> and if you want if you direct that energy to Joe Biden to listen to me, then maybe you'll get my vote. Oh, you think I caused Trump in 2016? Good. I'll do it again. Evil cackle. <laughs> you know, because like, what else are you going to say you? It's so deranged.
7: It's completely nonsensical. And I don't, because one of the, I would almost kind of, and one of the things that I've realized that I'm like, I would almost kind of get on their path. Like, you know, like who, like, you know, what's her name? The um, Maybe like the Jamel Hill. I can't remember. The, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't remember the female's name.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I think Yeah. Jamel Hill.
7: Jamel Hill. I would almost kind of get on their way when they say you still got to vote. If they were saying like, okay, vote. But we got to stop voting for Nancy Pelosi. But they don't even say that. They say, yeah, keep voting for Nancy Pelosi. Keep voting. Yep. For Diane uh, Feinstein. Uh, <laughs> Diane Feinstein. Pretty much like, I'm, I'm sorry to say this. She's senile. She mm-hmm. is currently um, senile. Like it's, medically, like the doctors have went in. Sad. <laughs> it's sad to see that because it's yeah. like, and I look at these people, I'm like, don't y'all got grandkids you just want to spend the rest of your time with? Like y'all 80 some odd years old. Like, Leave.
1: I can't not imagine being a millionaire and wanting to do a goddamn thing. <laughs> I,
7: I, I know it must be annoying having to take, cause take all this crap from your corporate donors, having to do these calls and do all this stuff and listen to these. I mean, some people may like it, but I would think it'd be annoying. After a while, and you'd be like, I can't wait to I retire and stop. And don't have to do this anymore and just live with my millions. But who knows? And um, the last, I'm sorry if you wanted to say something. No, no, go ahead. The last thing I really wanted to talk about was, um, it kind of goes into when you were talking about the whole Ukraine thing, is I was on uh, TikTok and I was, I followed this person who was talking about China and she was talking about how we have such a cultural propagandist mindset here in America when it comes to China. And Mm -hmm. it just brought me back to the whole, like, you know, us ukraine russia who's at fault and all this type of stuff and it's like we what i what i think like and i was watching another video with what what's the guy's name um i can't stand him bosh and he was Mm -hmm. talking about it and one of the things that i feel like no one gets is or some people do get it is we are the world power so when we do things Other powerful countries respond to what we do, what we do. So when we build up our Navy force, how do you think China and Russia feels about that? Like they know that, oh, they're not going to leave us alone. That's why North Korea, really one reason why North Korea exists is because it's a barrier between the United States, mainly, and South Korea from China. China feels like we have to keep this horrible person in power to protect ourselves, because if we don't have that, the United States, when they see an opportunity, is going to try and, you know, dethrone us. And it's like, I don't understand why people don't get that fact, that all, everything's a cause of a reaction. So when the United States, you know, increases NATO towards the Russian border... Why would you not think Russia would have a problem with that?
1: I see. So you're saying there's this sense of American entitlement and we view foreign policy as though America should be able to act unilaterally in any way that it wants globally without any consequences. And anybody's natural reaction or defensive maneuvers, even if they're identical to what America would or has literally done in the past, are considered to be acts of aggression. Like we expect the whole rest of the world to be cucked. In a permanent in a permanent state of cuckhood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think that's right. That's American exceptionalism in a nutshell. And it's really heartening to see that people who I think have traditionally been seen as more um, establishment standard bearers, even people like Jeffrey Sachs, are very much speaking out along those lines. I mean, it's 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 heartening, but at the same time, you know, I the most popular clip that Charlie Kirk's debate uh, clipped from our debate. I haven't listened to it, but it's about, um, being the, you know, is America the greatest country in the world or is like America, the least racist country in the world. And that's that formulation I did my radar about, right? Like that's what they get so much traction out of, you know, everywhere else is worse. We, you know, everywhere else is worse. American exceptional. Everyone else is worse. So there's no room for criticism. Your criticism is in bad faith. How could you complain? Go back to Africa, basically. <laughs> You know, and and that's a subject to everything. Um, and it's it'll be it'll be interesting to see if if the left comes up with a script that can disempower that script. And I tried with that radar last week, where I said, "Look, I I will fully concede to you that there are many things about America that are, you know, that I value compared to other places in the world. That doesn't. The America is as great as it is because people have been pushing to improve it." And now is not the time to rest in your laurels. And that's the script that I'm trying and we'll see if that takes or if there's others that people come up with, but I agree. It's a, it's a, it's a bigger problem that, that American exceptionalism is like ground zero problem numero uno.
7: And uh, last thing I'll say before I go kind of bleeding off that last point is that as someone who is a, you know, whose family is a descendant of slaves,
5: Mm -hmm.
7: I don't want to leave here. Like, the blood, sweat, death of my ancestors went put too much hard work, too much, you know, I don't even want to call it effort, but was forced to come over here. Mm-hmm. We've lived over here for so long. So I feel a sense of entitlement to this country.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, this country is mine. I'm not the one to go to legacy, legacy Americans unite, LOL. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not leaving.
7: Okay, but this was great. You have a good one.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you, Eric. All right, Jack, you're up next. What's on your mind this evening?
8: Hey, Brie, how's it going?
1: I'm doing all right. What are you thinking about?
8: Um, I'm calling in from Australia. Um, and I've been I've been following the Lab League stuff for mm-hmm. a, year or a while. Um, I was definitely, you know, one of those, um, you know, like cringe liberals back in 2020 who were like, oh, no, nah, no, nah, nah. um, you know, it's all, it's all, it's just like. Um, it's not true or whatever, like, you know, like believing all these um, various publications that were coming out, you know, trying to scientifically rule out the possibility of that being, um, you know, the cause of the pandemic. And, um, you know, so I was really shocked um, when I actually started, like, looking into some of this, um, you know, how compelling some of the evidence was.
1: May I ask what um, provoked you, What what pushed you from going to, from being someone who kind of generally accepted the consensus to wanting to look into it more deeply yourself?
8: I can't remember who it was. It was someone, you know, in the independent media space in the U S mm-hmm. it could have been Carl Kalinsky just mm-hmm. like reporting on some kind of revelation, um, as he does, or it could have even been, um, you know, from watching rising or breaking points with, mm-hmm. um, Saga and crystal.
5: Mm-hmm.
8: Um, and yeah, and I, mean, I, I, it just, it, it is kind of mind blowing, um, the oh the other thing as well that happened was um I kind of had this friend of a friend who works in the financial tech sector in China. Um and apparently, you know, everyone in that kind of like um coastal kind of elite financial class in China, this is what I've heard through them, is that it's like the worst kept secret secret and that everyone knows it came from a lab leak. So that's anecdotal. Mm. It doesn't like confirm it, it for me, but that 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 definitely like Really like piqued my interest, um, and then, and then yeah, the when when that um when that leak like, came out with um that uh that grant application proposal thing, like that was mm-hmm. a real alarm bell for me because like I think you, you know we'd both agree that if there was money you know in that proposal, um that you know at some point someone probably got funding to do that, mm-hmm. you know if there was enough money mm-hmm. in it, like I wouldn't be surprised if it happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. So, okay. So you've been following it closely since then. Yeah. And, you know, I'm curious what you made of, like, again, I was really heartened. I know this is not news to folks who have been in it. And obviously we did a bad faith episode about this a year ago with Thomas Frank. So it's not new to anybody, obviously, but what I find to be really interesting is the shifts into mainstream establishment discourse. So, Someone like Jeffrey Sachs, who is chairing Lancet's COVID-19 investigation, who is not only, you know, doggedly interested in getting to the root of this, but very publicly talking about the resistance that he's gotten from inside these institutional, you know, spaces is a real like alarm bell for me. And it's, it's it's not it's. So often we've had episode after episode after episode where it's clear that progress hasn't been made because of some kind of lack of courage or people looking after their own interests and to find, to just encounter Jeffrey Sachs speaking so openly in this way, I found to be really kind of heartening and revelatory. Cause, cause, it, cause it does take like to, to, your point about hearing crystal or whomever it was talking about it, making you feel like, Oh, maybe I should take a look at this. There are so many people that are well to the center of crystal who are not going to care what Crystal says because they have written her off and written the whole bread tube landscape off, but would listen to Jeffrey Sachs. That's why it feels yep. so important to me.
8: I think it was really important. I'm really, really glad that, that you had him on. I was actually thinking the other way, I would love Brie to do a segment on Lab League because I feel like it's becoming really relevant again. And then, you know, whoop, you did it. Thank you for doing that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad. And look, I being on rising also means that I need to get a lot better on my COVID discourse, uh, which I confess has not been my, you know, mainstay. So I appreciate if any any of you guys have things, I saw some folks in the comments on Patreon saying I should watch this or listen to that or read that. I have purchased the RFK book and it's sitting on my shelf. I haven't had time to get to it. But I'm genuinely curious about what the discourse is because I know it's very easy to live in a bubble with this stuff and I have to be able to participate. So thank you, Jack. I appreciate you calling in.
8: Yeah, no worries. Oh, I also just wanted to quickly add, um, mm-hmm. I watched, I watched your, um, you know, your debate with Charlie Kirk, and I know you were worried that about, you know, you, you thought maybe you'd done a bad job. I thought you did a really good job, you know, at every point where you kind of like just stepped out of the stepped out of the argument for a second and be, and you were just like Charlie, like what are you, what are you, what are you getting at here? Like what are you trying to do? I thought it was great. <laughs> I thought um. you managed yourself. <laughs> There was that one moment where like, you know, you asked him if like he had a chip on his shoulder or something like that. And I think he I think he really did. Oh, because he kept he really... bringing
1: up that I went to Harvard.
8: Oh, my God, it was the really most frustrating thing. And I could see you and I was just like, I was right there with you in that moment. And
1: I was like, oh <laughs> Well, I appreciate that, Jack. I wish you were really actually right there with me. <laughs> <laughs> All yeah, right. Thank thank so you so for nice listening. Thank you for yeah. calling in. Thank you for enduring that debate. <laughs>
8: Anytime, anytime. Take
1: care. Take care. All right, Eric. Normally, Eric, Eric Gray, you're back-to-back with other Eric. Um, I don't know, you know, some, you know, someone came between you this week. I don't know what happened. You guys normally coordinate so nicely.
9: Yeah, well, things can't work out, ideally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's on your mind this evening, Eric Gray? Um, something that isn't getting
9: talked about. I know I asked this in How We Stream. Um like I say it does the streams on Saturdays. Um it was on the really the fate of K through twelve education.
5: Mm.
9: Cause like I say, given given that college, university and stuff like and really post secondary education in general seems to be out of reach for most people and it's gonna look like this is gonna be a problem that's ongoing. Um and Biden forgiving $10,000 of student debt does effectively nothing um, for most people. So... Yeah.
1: Well, in, in good that, faith, I have to say, in, as a good faith interlocutor, I have to say that would mean about one third of people would have full debt cancellation. I have to say that. Yeah. But that's I would show, argue that...
9: shows that he could just cancel it all.
1: Right. And I would argue that that... That third, if we're talking about whether this is a regressive policy or not, that third might be the third that is, in, you know, least in need because they took up the lo- lowest amount of debt. It might not necessarily be the case, right? But I'd like to see some numbers on that. Like, are you just helping the people who are least in need? Because <laughs> they only had a little bit of debt left. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah. even continuing the moratorium helps folks. Like me, you know, I I pick up $10,000 for one year of moratorium because that's what my interest would be for the year, you know, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. I
9: mean, I don't have that much debt myself. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm kind of going, well, it can't just be someone like me.
5: Mm-hmm.
9: You know, right, for someone you don't know. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, you got to think of the greater good of stuff. And again, that gets me back to that point of, okay, so what the hell do we do on the K-12 through side? When it comes to education, we have stuff like the, again, the, the stupidity on the right with the CRT shit um, that I find myself having to dismantle, of course. And because it, it's fun, you know, you're certified to teach math, but you also find yourself teaching history at the same time. How's that? Uh, it's a mixture of annoying and... um I mean it's fun for a lot of students, but it's not it's actually kind of annoying because you know, you could just let the history teachers do this and But, but no, the copies. It's like it's, it's like just shut up already. <laughs> but but yeah, I have no problem doing it. It's just the fact that let the history teachers do it.
1: So so tell me, tell let's what what are we getting out here? Are we we getting out the fact that um you feel uh, that we're not having a, a fulsome enough conversation about K through 12 as we're focusing on student debt cancellation? Are you, you know, hope, wishing that we were focused more on free college and universities as well since that finally you know, ends the crisis instead of just canceling it for a period of time?
9: What's, what's the no, take? I guess the take is it is a focus on, on generally free education all around. Or we could just say already paid for education, basically, because that's effectively what it would be. Um, but it also doesn't hurt to ask the question about the fate of K-12 through 12 education. And because, you know, we have all these rules about, well, this is off the table, that's off the table. It, it's, it's like you got some of these older students like at some point, what the hell is this?
1: I'm sorry. So you have these older students. How do you, how do you mean?
9: Oh boy. Um, More so going, well, I guess going, why don't we learn certain things? So whether it's, I guess, whether it's like, okay, um, why don't we learn how to like actually do real world
1: stuff? Okay, so you, you think there I needs to be do, more? Be, what? You think there needs to be like more financial literacy? Bring back home Mac, shop those kinds of things in I mean, the school. I mean, I
9: mean, yeah, that's all. That's all good. And I wouldn't have a problem with that. I know. I guess I'll give Ron DeSantis credit for bringing financial aid into education. I guess um, this is about the only good thing he gets credit for.
5: Mm-hmm.
9: But really, I'm, I'm saying like really i'm basically saying having teachers have more um you know actual intellectual freedom you know we a lot of us have degrees that aren't education so like i like you have history teachers that have actual like full history degrees
5: mm-hmm.
9: so they're not free to really express their knowledge because of the c r t nonsense.
1: Have you uh, been teaching history and experienced pushback because something you've taught has been characterized as CRT?
9: No, I like I said, I normally teach math. No, I know, but, I've, I, but yeah, I've had, I get what you're saying. I just had to clear up some things, but um, I haven't gotten in at all yet, and I know we're about to wrap up the school year anyway in my area, so. The fact that I went this far and didn't get anything is a miracle. Um, But no, I haven't gotten anything.
1: Okay. Well, that's good to hear. I appreciate you calling in, Eric, and keep us updated as to what's going on down there in the school system in Florida. All
9: right. We'll do, I guess.
1: All right. Thank you for calling in. I'm going to hop around a little bit because I saw Bells was up next in the chat on the next call, and I want to make sure he... Uh, they get on the on the stage. What are you up to, Bells? Can you unmute yourself for us, Bells? I might have I might have caught them off guard, my bad. <laughs> People in the back gotta look alive. You gotta look alive. You never know if I'm coming up to you next. Okay. Um North, I've never seen you before. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. North, Northy, Colin North. All right, I'll try you again if you get back in line. Your, can you unmute yourself? It's the mic button in the bottom right hand corner. Nope. All right, no work, Chris. You're the next caller. I tried to hop around. You guys saw that I tried to be. I tried to be, you know, democratic about this. <laughs> What's on your mind, Hi, today, Chris? P. How you doing? Good evening.
6: How is Hopkins Airport today?
1: Is that what Cleveland's airport's called?
6: Isn't that what it used to be called, Hopkins? I haven't been there in like fifteen years, but I used to go there all the time. I don't it. know. I it just
1: happens. open. I just open the Lyft app and write in airport. <laughs> <laughs>
6: anyway, um, I saw your your string today and that uh, that thing you responded to where you said I'm gonna. This makes me want to vote harder against Biden. It was a ridiculous string, and your tweet was hilarious, and I appreciate that about you. That and, like, the Incaina, Incaino, who was, like, critiquing you for Tucker a week or two ago. Mm -hmm. You've just been on fire on Twitter lately. I've been really loving your tweets and retweeting a lot of them, and uh, I appreciate it. And then what you said uh, about... uh, iglesias last week on rising was was uh also excellent
1: um thank you thank you chris i appreciate that
6: yeah um i do want to go back uh, because we haven't spoken in like three weeks and i've I've been trying to get up and i'm just always late getting in the queue and and miss you and uh you got a huge queue and a huge show I, i understand um and i'm i'm happy for you on that um Stoller said something that wasn't correct, and I just want to correct the record on on the air, and and without getting too much into the you know the Stoller stuff, okay. so to speak. But he said he did say that that Tesla is not a monopoly, and I looked up the numbers right then, and, and he used that to marginalize everything that Danny Hyphong said, and I I want to correct uh, Matthew Stoller on that, which is that. In the EV market, electric vehicle market in the U.S., Mm -hmm. Tesla holds 70% of the market. The next closest competitor, at least in the 2021 data, I verified this from a a couple of sources, at least in the 2021 data, the next closest competitor is Nissan with 8.5%. If that's not a monopoly, 70%, your next closest competitor is 8.5%. I don't know what it is. I'd be curious how uh, uh, Matthew would would define that. Um
1: wait, I'm so and, confused. Does t- okay, do that many people have Teslas? I thought like Priuses were the most common electric cars.
6: But those are hybrids, those aren't electric Oh,
1: Oh okay. still
6: have a gas tank. So like Got it. you know, Nissan is a leaf and they have I think one other vehicle that's uh and then G M has like the bolt and the bolt and those are full electric and now the new Rivians and uh, and there's a few others out there. But in terms of the electric vehicle that don't have gas tanks that only burn or that only run off of being charged from a wall or a, a charging station someplace, Tesla holds 70 percent of the market. And to me, that's a monopoly. So I just wanted to correct that first off um, for everyone out there, because I think Stoller was was wrong to say that they're not a monopoly, because I would. I would call a 70% market share a monopolistic market share. I I actually... Well, okay, I just
1: Googled it it real quick. So technically, a pure monopoly is defined, obviously, as 100% of market share. In the UK, a firm is said to have monopoly power if it has more than 25% of the market share. So obviously, Tesla would qualify. For example, (laughs) Tesco at 30% of the market share or Google at 90% of search engine traffic are considered to be monopolies.
5: Right. Yep. And
6: I would be I I would be more in the vein of I don't know that twenty five percent is quite fair, but you know, if the UK says it they they're entitled to that. And
5: but seventy
6: percent definitively is a, a monopoly in my book.
5: Um
6: <laughs> so but yeah, anyway. Um the other thing I wanted to say and, and Jam was on first and I was
5: hoping to maybe get in above him and
6: so that he would have a chance to respond, but I wanted to discuss what he said last week, specifically mm-hmm. on the on the gun issues, mm-hmm. um, and the statement that he said that that handguns are as lethal as as uh, as these assault rifles, and that people only use these assault rifles for um for aesthetic purposes that they're more intimidating. It's just not actually accurate. Why do hunters use rifles? Because they're more deadly because they have higher muzzle velocities and they shoot bullets out at a much higher velocity and with a much higher energy. And and it's the same with an AR versus a handgun. I was I looked it up as he was saying that like a 9 mm, which is a really common round for a handgun, <clears throat> excuse me, is has a, a muzzle velocity somewhere around twelve to fifteen hundred uh feet per second when it leaves the muzzle. Uh an AR fifteen with a two T three cartridge shoots out uh 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 round at a velocity of, of thirty five hundred feet per second. That's over two X, like two and a half times the energy as well in uh in joules um is is like two to three X. That's why they use them. They don't use them because they're more aesthetically violent looking or anything of that nature. They use them because they're more deadly. They shoot bullets at a much higher velocity with a much higher energy. And that does a much more catastrophic thing when it hits human flesh. And that's just so I I liked what Jam had to say tonight. I agree with him. I've heard him in other spaces. I I generally agree with him. I just think that on this one, it's just not accurate to say that that the only reason people use those is because they're aesthetically more more okay. violent looking
1: well i don't i don't know that he's i don't know i don't know that he said that it was the only reason but someone in the chat is saying that he was making the point that if they were to get rid and again i'm not saying i agree but his point was that if they were to get rid of ARs you know that people would pivot to other kinds of guns which frankly are more easily concealed and potentially more dangerous for those reasons. Although I did see in the chat uh, a few days ago, I guess that was Friday, that some people were saying that, no, there's really meaningful differences in terms of how many bullets can be shot in a certain amount of time with handguns, even new handguns, which can shoot off a lot of rounds quickly, what their capacities are, all of that. There, there are meaningful differences there, and we should have a, a fulsome ex. Um, episode with experts who can really flesh all of that out, but I'm not necessarily the one. So was there anything else that you had on your mind?
6: Well, the one other thing is that you can get an assault rifle as easily as you can a handgun. And like, I'm sorry to jam, Jim. I respect you. I appreciate you. And with all due respect, I just disagree. And I think that you're just not correct on a few of these things. But certainly in a lot of states, there are different age limits for like a hunting rifle and a shotgun versus an AR. It's not the, true, it's not the truth in every state, but it is the truth in, in a lot of states in this country. So I think that that's an important thing to discuss when we're discussing these issues as well. Um, and then that's mostly what I had to say. One other thing, you have a little bit of an issue once in a while because you're trying to read the comments and I don't know if it would work for you as the host, but for me, as a, a caller, I can kind of hit the uh, drop arrow in the top left.
1: Yes. So someone mentioned that. The room. Yeah. Yeah. Someone mentioned that last and time. Then, it might have been you in the chat, and I've been doing that this time around, and it's been working. So thank you yeah, for that. So
6: <laughs> for everyone, for everyone else, uh, like if you're in the queue and you don't want to kill the app to get back and see comments, if you hit the arrow in the top left and then go back to like either Bree or whatever call you're in, whatever, go to debrief or to free. Uh, Not whatever. A- There's
1: only the debrief. You're only listening yeah, to the debrief. JK, JK. <laughs> uh,
6: and click back into the call. It will refresh the comments for a little while. And you kind of have to redo that periodically, but just for everybody out there. Uh, and then one other thing, Brie, I know as the top call-in show, out there uh <laughs> you probably have a little sway with in. and I'm noticing right now when I go to my profile or anybody's profile and you click into their profile and go to calls it says no calls like as you know I've called into your show a dozen plus two dozen times
5: mm. it doesn't
6: show that in under my calls like it used to
5: mm. and it's
6: been like that for a week or two so if you wanted to let them know they have another little bug on that. I know,
1: okay, I will. I know they're, on they're working on it. Mickey. Yeah, like I'm looking yeah. right now and it says like, for example, two hundred and forty seven people in the room, but if I exit out like I've been doing the refresh the chat, it looks like there's fifty nine people live.
6: Yeah, same for me. It shows me one ninety if I exit out and then click back. It shows one ninety but in the room it says two forty six right now.
5: So, yeah, anyways, so I don't, there's a uh, few yeah.
6: little bugs with with that right now. One if If I could, one more thing.
5: I was wondering what
6: you would think about abolishing the Senate and moving to a unicameral system. And, you know, there's one state I think is, uh, I think Nebraska, some Midwest state has Mm -hmm. a unicameral, uh, legislative system. And what you would think of that just to, I mean, you have, you have Wyoming with, you know, half a million roughly. People in Wyoming, and then California with forty million, they have the same number of senators. That doesn't seem right. Um, Yeah,
1: I'm into it. I'm into it. I'm into it. It's specifically designed as, you know, uh, an an elite bolstering anti-democratic institution that was intended to preserve power for the least cool people in the united states of america at the time and so I'm, I'm i'm into it i have no affection for it get rid of it i don't see the purpose of it bye beautiful <laughs> thanks for calling <laughs> you, chris you.
5: thank you
6: have
1: a good night Take care. Thank you. you too bye. all right shelly how are you doing shelly everything was good it was good to see the house the new house in cleveland the neighborhood is really lovely and i'm i think everyone's a little bit stressed from the move and trying to get things in order, but it was nice to see everybody. How was your weekend?
10: Uh, it was great. It was uh, pretty lazy for most of it. So good. That's how. Weekend. That's how it should be. <laughs> I was curious um, if you could tell us any thoughts about kind of the more recent moves that Breaking Points, i.e., Crystal Soccer, Kyle, that those people have been making as far as trying to like consolidate into a more um. Whatever non mainstream outlet,
1: mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but that's a, maybe she we should she should come on the podcast and give us some insights into what the the goals are there and how they're planning to go about it. I haven't, I don't know, has something new happened that makes you want to ask that question? Well, did I missed I mean, something. Uh, uh, no, I don't
10: think that you missed anything. I mean, I think the I guess maybe the last show that they did, they sort of announced that they were moving more towards it. I think what Matt Stoller, David Sirota. Um, Jordan Sheraton, Crystal Mm -hmm. Pyle, you know, they're, they're Mm -hmm. kind of all consolidating, um, you know, into one network. And I guess from listening to revolutionary blackout network and they had what I think are some pretty credible criticisms. And I was just wondering if you'd seen anything about that or had any opinions on it.
1: I, don't know i don't know specifically what you're talking about i yeah. mean i i know that generally the rbn folks see you know crystal kyle and that kind of group as being too um invested in electoral politics yeah. and i hope that's something that they sit and talk about because you know i have had conversations with them and have we've had our dis- differences of, a pro- uh, of opinion about that i God, I can barely talk. I need to go to bed. That I, you know, I went on with Crystal and Kyle, and we talked about this at some point. I think probably last summer. Um, and I don't think there's any reason to have like acrimony. And you know, I think there's a world where it'd be wonderful if RBN folks were part of whatever Crystal and Saga are trying to put together over there at Breaking Points. So,
10: yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, I kind of feel the same way. Um, and it, it, to me, it was just kind of disappointing that out of every single person that they kind of tapped to be a part of the network, like everyone kind of seems to be established in a certain way. And they mm-hmm. weren't actually trying to sort of bring up, you know, maybe some different viewpoints and like kind of add that. So I thought that was somewhat disappointing, but then, um, I just, I wanted to ask your opinion about one other thing and then I'll,
5: mm-hmm.
10: you know, let you go. Um, I feel like, I noticed in a lot of, like, Western leftist spaces, um, we kind of tend to have, like, sort of the same conversations over and over again. And every single time that anyone brings up any type of foreign country or anything like that, everyone kind of turns up their nose and goes, well, not like that. Like, we don't like, we don't like that. Like, that's not good enough. That's not, they wouldn't do it the way I would do it.
1: And then- Wait, how do you- How do you mean?
10: Well, like, if you're talking about the working class taking power, Mm -hmm. or like having a say so in their government, Mm -hmm. and everyone can kind of decry like the horrors that we inflicted on the Vietnamese people during the Vietnam War, which was a social, they were attempting to have they had a socialist revolution. We kind of came in and tried to stop it. Mm -hmm. And then years later, we sit there and they go, Oh, was your revolution successful? I don't like it. It's not good enough. And to me, I'm just like, what's up with the chauvinism against other people that were actually successful in the revolutions? And why hasn't anyone in the Western left like kind of more tried to delve into why they were successful versus us?
1: Well, I will say, and I have not been a very good socialist alternative member of late, but I will say (laughs) that part of the process of joining was doing assigned reading and some of it was about successes in other countries Mm -hmm. which I found to be very illuminating like it you know my my joining process as remedial as it was and as you know you know small and meager as it was in the grand scheme of what people learn when they're actually studying these things and reading actual books and stuff it was it like was meaningfully eye-opening in terms of world events for me so I do think being a member of an organization like that is helpful for those reasons and also I really appreciate that they are looking to those examples very specifically as they design their program for what we do here. Yeah. Um, I've been wanting, and again, this is me just not having figured it out quite yet, but I really want to do it, an episode after all the abortion stuff about how women in various um, South American countries that are more conservative agitated through basically labor agitation and you know uh-huh. strikes mm-hmm. and um, disc- you know. Um, protests and such to get abortion rights, despite having a much more conservative, deeply religious political context they were working in. Um, And, you know, I'm also like, I'm interested in, I don't want to just do a gun episode where I get some, yeah. I mean, God bless them. Like I'll respect and oh my, oh my goodness, what they've been through. But I don't just want to have like gun activists, Parkland kids to come on and say, like, obviously we need gun reform. Like, yeah, obviously we need gun reform. I'd love to talk to, maybe some legal experts who have litigated some of these cases against gun manufacturers to talk about other avenues for, you know, like I, I'm very interested in, in, alternative approaches.
10: Yeah. And also so I'm with you. Guest, mm-hmm. Jeffrey Sachs, I was actually kind of disappointed because he had this like great 10 minute speech a couple of months ago that he did before the UN food systems pre summit where he mm. has like a 10 minute clip and he's talking about Africa and it, it was so great. Like, he just went off and if you can find the Jeffrey Sachs, U.N. food systems pre-summit, it's a 10 minute clip. I think you'll really, really like it.
1: Okay. He's Jeffrey on Sachs. fire. He so. Food summit. What did he, you call it? He the pre talked
10: about the billionaires can go up to space and leave their money behind. Was it the Jeffrey Sachs that you had?
1: Uh, July 26th. Do you think? I, yeah, I think, I think it is. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. People it, on YouTube totally... are really liking this. Okay, I'm gonna pull this up in, oh yeah, ten minutes. This is it. Okay, yeah. Thank you, thank you for that, Shelly. I'll definitely take yeah. a listen. Bye guys. Wait, you that think we good. should listen to a little bit of it now? Is it good from um, the jump? Maybe
10: go, maybe go like three. Maybe, I think maybe three minutes towards the end, like towards. Oh, the towards end, the end. I kind of get really okay. tired All of. Right. I think everyone would really like it.
1: Okay. All right. Okay, Shelly. Here we go. Thanks.
11: And then. We're going to have national pathways. This is a wonderful idea, but they're going to need financing. And so everything that I've been saying, I know the numbers. That's all I do for 40 years is add up what's missing. You want electricity? It has to be purchased. You want digital access? It has to be purchased. You want safe water irrigation? It has to be purchased. This is what I do for a living, is add up these numbers and then find out that then... (laughs) Somebody makes up something and names one hundredth of what's really needed. It's not even hard. By the way, the IMF has done wonderful studies in the last two years, showing that we have a financing gap of about 400 to 500 billion dollars a year for the basics for the SDGs. They show the gap, but they don't, nobody comes up with the number, the solution which wouldn't be so hard because that's just not a big number. It's .5 of 1 percent of world output. So if we really care, we wouldn't have the G7 saying, we love education, therefore we're going to give $3 billion for education. That's what they said at the summit. But what UNESCO has shown is that you need at least $30 billion a year, minimum. But nobody looks at numbers. They just make up nice, check the box. So we need the real numbers of finance to back the national pathways. The final thing is we need the UN as the core and central institution of this world, period. Because this is the only way we're going to have a civilized world is a strong UN. And it cannot be that the whole UN budget is less than my neighborhood's budget in New York. The UN core budget this year is $3 billion. New York City's budget is $100 billion. And then we say, why don't things work well? Because the rich are hoarding everything. Final point, rather than our three billionaires going in space, well, they could go into space and stay there and leave their money behind. That would be one idea. But another yes. idea another idea is we have 2775 billionaires on the current list. Their combined net worth 2700 is 13.1 trillion dollars. Now I have it on good authority, you don't need more than a billion dollars to be comfortable. But they have an excess of 11 trillion dollars over Just the one billion. So we should be taxing that and having a civilized world. Thank you.
1: Jeffrey sucks. Thank you, Jeffrey. Okay, thank you for that, Shelly. I really enjoyed that. All right. You You too, Shelly. Lance, you're up next. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. You're unmuted, but for some reason I can't hear you. And I think this happened last time with us, Lance. What is going on? Am I the only one who can't hear Lance? Give me a thumbs up if you guys can hear Lance and it's just a me problem. No, I see a cry face emoji. I see a thumbs down. Okay, Lance, get back in the queue and we'll try again. And I'm going to go back and get whoever it was that I nexted. Oh, Lance, now, did I just hear something? Hey, wait, can you hear me now? Hey. Hello? Hey, 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 what's hey. up? Let us. What, what's crackalacking?
12: Yeah, sometimes you got to mute and unmute and do things on this app. I'm glad I'm not persona non grata. Ten minutes with Matt Stoller about China, but the last seven minutes was all his fault. No, anyway, just kidding. But <laughs> Lance. So, you know. The um, the whole thing, man. So many, so many, so many things, you know. But first of all, I'll just jump to this. This whole thing about these threats with uh about the vote—what for the forty billion—is that what it was for? About, you know. Uh,
1: yeah. Um uh, mm-hmm.
12: Cory Bush. Yeah, oh no, no, threatened. no. The
1: threats. I think that was about endorsing Nina Turner.
12: Yeah, yeah. That, oh, that oh, yeah. Bush Something saying that she was threatened. No. So controversial, so horrible, because it means the end of the world. Okay, AOC uh, was afraid because she couldn't go to the, the, the rally for the union because she was afraid. She pretended to be, after she already knew everything, was locked down in an entirely different building on January 6th, pretended to be afraid. And we have the people out west, I'm an equal opportunity. I've mentioned this on another show, and these uh, uh, right-wingers who aren't wackos who say, yes, of course, Trump's a wacko. Of course, stop the steal, stupid. Of course, you know, kill it out uh, But no, I can't do that because my, my family's gotten threats back home, you know, online or whatever. And I said on some other show, I said, so you want to be a politician? Yeah, Rebel, you know, we're going to get... And they even said this stuff. They know they're going to get attacked. Okay, I want to be a politician. As long as I don't get attacked on Twitter, as long as I don't get threats, vague threat from people. that I tell the FBI they check it out like a mother. And so... These threats—it's like I said—it's like I'd love to be a swimmer as long as I don't have to get wet. Okay, that's what it sounds like to me. It's like, well, it gets me so cold. I don't want to get wet. Like being a cop, like the, the cowards in Florida, the cowards in, in this time. It's not a bug; it's a feature. As we know, they're not bound by the Supreme Court decision to protect anyone. It's all a grift, and it's all that. But what sickens me. What really sickens me is that whether it's on the left or the right, these people get to make forty billion dollar decisions so the people can get their heads blown off in Ukraine. But no more AR forty seven, AR fifties. No, let's just send you know more zinger. I mean, can these people not see what they're doing? That whether it's Ukrainians or Russian people, it's going to be Ukrainians that are going to get slaughtered with this forty billion dollars. I mean,
1: come on, liberals. Yes, somebody, I mean, it's just so sick. Made- yeah, somebody made the point. Um, which politician wasn't that said? Oh, it was Pete Buttigieg. Of course, it was Pete Buttigieg. He said, "You know, I, I didn't, I didn't kill people with AR-15s overseas so that people back home could be shot by AR-15s or some shit like that." And people were like, "Does this not whole thing not make you question the relationship between these guns, these weapons of war that are being used to brutalize?" non American often brown populations all over the world and the kinds of violence that happens back home. Are you not understanding the relationship between those things? Are you not understanding that there's a rise in gun violence here at home at the same time that there's a rise in militarism overseas? Are you not understanding that there's a whole market for all of these things and the manufacturers are one and the same? And so I think that I think that you're yeah. raising a good point. A- and look you know, a- think- a- Yeah go ahead. Yeah. No, 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 go ahead. It's, you know well, I was just going to say that I think to what the first know. question, it was a jam who was bringing up the lack of narrative on the left. I think part of it is that if you are always looking over your shoulder because you're afraid of APAC or you're afraid of Nancy Pelosi or you're afraid of something else, then there's going to be a certain inconsistency to your rhetoric that makes it easy to poke holes in. You know, you know, the right-wing rhetoric, I mean, the conservative rhetoric, I think I obviously don't substantively agree with it. But there is a way that, You know, it's there's it's it's simplicity and kind of unhinged abandonment of uh, morals. (laughs) It just it's it's easy to follow. Trickle down economics is good. The free hand of the market is good. If you let things happen naturally, laissez faire, you know, economics makes better outcomes every time the government interferes it messes things up you can point to lots of moments when the government does in fact mess up to validate that thesis so it seems like it all hangs together you can say the solution to every problem is just to shrink the government and allow individuals to have more hashtag choice 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 you know there's a way that 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 hangs together but if you're like oh war is bad and guns are bad but also i'm voting for sending more to ukraine
12: yeah 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 then it doesn't make sense yeah, no. And 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 so like to channel my inner George Carlin, I got to say this <laughs> and this is lovely, like you're saying about the right, about the Republicans, okay? But they get what they want. I don't care if they're saying we want a QAnon, tin foil, stop the steal, January 6th with the tourists being their patriot blah blah blah. They get that. And pro guns, they get that. They don't get somebody who is uh pro choice, uh you know, uh uh, uh anti-guns. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I, let me give you another general point. Do you ever hear about, you hear about all these, these left wingers and these Democrats and these liberals, liberals now, Barney Frank working on boards of banks? They always go that way. I never hear of like, wow, did you hear James Imhoff, James Imhoff don't, you know, uh, joined uh, the World uh, Wildlife Federation or the Sierra, you know, it never happens that way. It's like, and so that's why I'm saying is that for all of this, like, it's not just the Lincoln Project, look at those dumb hick Trump voters. They get what they want. They're not fooled by crap. They're not letting people that they they got rid of anybody that was remotely pro-choice years ago. They don't let this stuff happen. More corrupt people like Cedric Richmond, like Clay are, like the person mm-hmm. in Illinois, I think, Kobe took that seat. These are bright, bright blue districts that have mm-hmm. right-wing, pro-choice, uh, pro-life, pro-corporate openly, you know, anti-whatever, so I don't want to hear the left wing tell me about these stupid hit Republicans because you know what? It's like logo. Okay, like, I saw the enemy and it is us. But let me make one more point. Like George Carlin said, if you have you know insipid, corrupt, blah blah, but blah, blah, all these people that are horrible on the on the Democratic parties because that's the kind of people that voted them in. If that's what we are as a people, we're just stupid, and that's who we vote. We vote
1: who we want.
12: We got what we wanted, and that's
1: well. On the look, I mean, quote. I think that that Princeton study from 2014 shows us that we aren't getting what we want. That people, on the whole, do agree that we want good things. The problem is these people. Like, I'm looking at my mentions right now. I don't mean to be distracted. I want to give my full self to you guys right now, but my mentions are out of control. And I've quartered this all day. I'm not complaining. Like, this is I, I'm doing this on purpose. But people are acting like, I mean, the Republicans, to your point, they'll be like, uh, we got to stop the steal and not do a democracy and storm the Capitol and all of this. And Democrats are acting like, I am Satan incarnate for pointing out that Biden promised to cancel all student debt for people making $125,000 who went to an HBCU. And, yeah. you know, like that, that I'm like somehow like, I'm like I don't know, like I'm I'm doing I'm doing a Trump, like I'm doing the worst thing imaginable. Like they are all foaming at the mouth, furious at me at the suggestion that some people might not want to vote for Joe Biden if he doesn't p- fulfill some basic campaign promises. Like yeah. that, like literally, they're acting like how dare, like how dare you? A woman threatened to call the manager on me. She she tagged Bernie. I don't know what she thinks Bernie's going to do.
12: <laughs> it's crazy. It's,
1: it's a so wild. No, I'm like,
12: Yeah. Uh, And before I know, you got other callers and you're going to have to cut me off soon, but I have a great, I really mean this for two, for several years. I've been thinking about this is what I would have to counter anybody. Okay. Uh, the uh, OECD, that's 40 countries got Chile, Mm. Bolivia, or not, I think Bolivia, I'm not sure, maybe Colombia. Okay. It's got some second world countries and just show the stats of where America is. American yeah. exceptionalism indeed. It's in the book I'm going to write. You could go literally book length of American exceptionalism, how much we suck at everything. and Just <laughs> show that to a Republican or a Democrat, a right winger or a left winger. So go ahead, Mr. GOP. Tell me how if you had full power like you've had before and the Democrats, same thing, or because you want to work together or not. Why are we in last place or barely in the middle of the pack at best on everything?
1: Yeah, what's you interesting know? is when I was doing my little American exceptionalism a bit on Rising last week, Uh, I used a clip. I mean, I didn't play the clip, but I I screen grabbed and pointed to it because there's an exchange between Ben Shapiro and one of these college kids where they ask that very question. It was not a dumb college kid. Like sometimes he loves to pick on the dumb ones. This person was informed um, and he basically made that point. He read a a list of stats um, of maternal health rate and all the other things, child poverty, all the other things, you know, not having insurance for kids and stuff that America fails at. And um, asked Ben Shapiro how he can say that America is the best country in the world with all of these stats. And Ben Shapiro's answer is basically that it's like the gestalt of America that's better, not these individual things. So certainly we're not the best at every category in the world. But, you know, vibes were the best overall. (laughs) Um, You know, in in measures like freedom. You know, they always say we're more free We've got more free speech than other countries in Europe, and, and you know they pick these metrics that I think are extremely debatable. So, like, if I'm sitting here in a black sweatshirt uh, over a navy sundress, <laughs> I say to myself, "Okay, well, the standard for being good and comfortable is if you wear a black sweatshirt in a navy over a navy sundress, then like, yeah, I guess I stay winning." But it, it does feel like a lot of like post hoc rac- rationalization, but they, they, they really think that they're addressing the argument head on and that they have a really solid answer for it. So that's another quagmire. The left just has to figure out how to unwind.
12: Yeah. And, and one last quick point. Nina Turner, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, you know, as much as I have problems with some of the things she said, et cetera, but anyone going to work for the Democratic Party, it's like saying, "Yes, I got a PhD in climate change. How to do that good stuff with climate you know, to fix climate change? So I'm going to go work for the renewable department at Exxon Mobil. <laughs> That's the same thing. <laughs> Am I wrong? I like that,
1: eno- I like that analogy lands. I mean, I'm, I'm increasingly feeling that way. Exactly.
12: They have a renewable department, so that's all the PhDs and all the people that want to save the climate should go work for Exxon, because that's the same thing as being a politician and going to work for the Democratic Party.
1: I hear you, You want I hear that. i got more,
12: but I'm sure you want.
1: No, I appreciate you, Lance. Look, maybe Senator Turner will pleasantly surprise us all and do what she said, and I shouldn't say pleasantly surprises, but maybe she, you know, it will be a lovely outcome of this loss that she goes ahead and does what she hinted at in her. Um, concession speech, which what is to go and burn it down outside of the electoral process
12: not going to run for president as a third party when she didn't even want to buck the system Katie Porter. okay what, please I don't know what district but I bet it's more mixed in terms of uh, demographics I know it had rich people in it Katie Porter ran as a progressive she's got some like she wants to save salt and do some things for the rich people she represents the richest district bright red for a long time in the country and she ran as a progressive in one mm-hmm. so I don't want to mm-hmm. hear if you turn her couldn't run. running as a pure progressive in a in a district that was a lot less rich yeah. than but Katie I don't Porter.
1: I don't think it was that she was progressive i think it's that there is this very well funded you know the democratic party has figured out how to keep progressives from winning and katie porter and all of those folks snuck in under the radar on that um was did katie come in in 2018 as well with everybody like i'm pretty sure oh yeah she i mean got they just figured it out sorry
12: yeah she got defanged by maxine waters did katie porter because she was too good right right so i mean she's she's she doing a so, yeah, and no, you see, that, and but, you see still, Bakari no.
1: sellers and you see Bakari sellers raising one million dollars to defeat Rashida Talib. Like this is what's happening now. So I do think that it's a little bit of a timing issue but, but, that but, but, it wait, wait a minute. I, I'm not but, disagreeing but, but, with you on the whole. So you don't I, need I, to you you don't need well, to look at, look at Bernie twenty sixteen Bernie
12: 2020. That's with Nina. And then the Nina, the second time she watered it down a bit about, nah, you know, maybe I shouldn't go too. Yeah. Tough. And, we, and when we, we talked about that into. on the show
1: and I'm not disputing any of that, I'm just pushing back to this very narrow point that Katie Porter could do it. So Nina Turner yeah. can too. I don't know that Katie Porter could have won today. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying she couldn't have. I'm just saying that there's different circumstances today and it's getting increasingly more difficult for progressives to win. But thank you for calling in. Lance. Oh, I,
12: thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: All right. Take care. All right. Uh, Moeti, what's on your mind this evening? Can you unmute yourself, my friend?
13: Hi, can you hear me?
1: I can. What's on your mind this okay. evening?
13: Oh, great. Um, I wanted to talk about this lab leak uh, because it's one of the... Uh, to me, is one of the most interesting topics uh, that I've ever um, experienced in, in politics. I, I don't think that I ever would consider myself a conspiracy theorist uh, mm-hmm. on really any topics, but this is... Um, I think one of the things that bothers me about this issue is that it's first the implications of of what it means if it's true. And I don't know if it's true or not, but if it is true, Mm -hmm. I think that the implications, obviously, you know, if it's true, it's either, it was either intentional or accidental. We wouldn't know, but let's say that it's true and it was intentional. I think the implications are so profound that, I don't know if we're even emotionally able to discuss that as a country. And mm-hmm. I think that right there is the reason why people are just not even wanting to go there. I, it, it's very similar to like, you know, mm-hmm. you know, like where, where it's just like, we don't even want to even we're, we're, we don't feel like we, you know, like we would rather like assume something that is not plausible. Then assume that because we don't even know how to talk about it, you know, because I've actually, you know, thought about it myself about the implications of, you know, some rogue scientist leaking something like this from a lab that that has literally altered billions of people's lives on this earth. Mm
11: -hmm. And,
13: you know, that like, you know, that has never, I don't think a single person has had that much power in history to do something like that and what it's almost like if that could happen once, it can happen again. And, and to me, I think that's one of the most disturbing um, ideas where we're past the, you know, where we have the nuclear bombs and and everybody has like the, they're, you know, like the, the, the the football that the president carries around. and, And that is still, you know, in effect today and and for the longest time that was considered to be like the the ultimate deterrent because we have this massive violent bomb that could that everybody was afraid of mm-hmm. and all of a sudden there is a possibility that there is something else that is even more terrifying than mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i don't really hear a lot of people talking about this i feel like that is something that Maybe we don't want to talk about, but I mean, because again, those implications to me fundamentally will reshape law itself. You know it's no different than you know, if we're going to, you know if we're in the bank and you know and somebody comes in with a gun and I'm about to deposit money that I think is lawfully mine, but when somebody has a gun in your face, it's like that money is no longer lawfully mine because they have control of violence that's greater than what i have at the moment and i feel like that's what this lab leak is at a global scale it's like that somebody has control of violence that is greater than what anybody can even conceive of Mm. and that right there trumps the law so i don't yeah that's
1: that is a great working thesis for an article. <laughs> the idea that, you know, the, the if if this turns out this is actually a bioweapon of sorts that it has a cataclysmic effect that challenges that of atomic of, of nuclear warfare and what does that actually mean? Like what does it mean to be able to launch a nuclear bomb number of deaths upon the world and do it in a way that's so subtle that you don't actually know if it's the origins of, you can't actually prove. I mean, part of mutually assured destruction is that like, okay, if Russia decides to nuke us, then we'll nuke Russia and everybody will know who is responsible. Ostensibly. There have been these weird accidents and stuff that have brought us to the brink of nuclear war, like what happened in Hawaii, but never mind all of that. But if it's a virus, then there's this level of plausible deniability. And it's like so fascinating. Like what is actually going on? Is it, is it the world where China, you know, let's say, hypothetic, I'm just talking about my ass. I know this is real. This is not fake news. Don't listen to me. But, you know, in a world where China says, let's actually do this, but you know, but let's do it in a way that it can't be tracked back to us. Is everybody happy because then we don't have to launch into a full-scale nuclear war and America's like, well, we don't want to really pin it on China because we're not really, really ready to fight back, you know, or whoever it was, if it is true that it was both a lab leak and not an accident, you know, somebody, somebody on the Patreon Again, this is pure conjecture, pure conjecture. But someone on the Patreon was saying that the open secret in China is everyone talks about it as though it was a 100% lab leak um, and, you know, that the, they knew the danger of the work and everything that was going on there. And that's part of why China has been so aggressive with its zero COVID policy is that they understand the, you know, if this is a kind of a bioweapon that's going to be coming down the pike in the future, that you need to have a response to it that is a kind of a wartime response and be able to shut that down. So that's not an avenue that people can take against your population. And that's I mean, that's it's a a lot of fascinating and terrifying stuff to think about.
13: Absolutely. I mean, because notice that. We'll we'll consider, oh, this came from an animal or it's a lab leak. But you never hear anyone saying that, was this intentionally leaked? It's always a lab leak. Like, it's almost like, oh, it's an accident. But maybe it wasn't an accident. It seemed very well-timed to me to happen right before um, a major presidential election. And, you know, but that hypothesis is not even considered. And that actually is so concerning to me because, you know, a lot of times when we're, like, trying to figure out all – connect all the dots, there's really about three possibilities. It's either came from some animal, it either came from a lab leak, or it was intentionally leaked. There's three possibilities, and we don't even consider that third one. So that right there is very concerning because I think there that kind of – to me, it points to there being a lot more that – you know, is, uh, I, I think there's a lot of fear. There, I think there's a lot more fear at the highest levels than they want to, uh, it's almost when your parents are, like, super afraid of something and they don't want to, like, tell you because they don't want to scare the kids. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of what's happening mm-hmm. at the government level, and it's kind of very surreal that we're actually living through this time where, they're like, they don't know how to process it, and so, therefore, let's just, you know, not talk about it. And, yeah. you know, so that's kind of where my head is with, with the imp- implication I do and and I, and I do feel that you know that we got to talk about it some more like I'll be honest like there there are some things that even myself I don't want to say publicly because it's just like I don't even know like what mm-hmm. should we talk about but I I think it seems like a very important topic um I mean the the other one to me um along the same lines is is uh you know and I and I would love for a, a show to be done on the topic of what happened you know with the assassination of uh uh in and, and hate mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. i feel like that that was you know that was the first time that, um that i remember getting really um that you know where where i i definitely felt like something was off you know mm-hmm. i remember like there was a lot of stuff going on but when i saw that assassination, because i I remember thinking, like, okay, well, I wanted to see what was going to happen next. And then I, I had a, a hypothesis in my head, like, okay, well, if this happens next, then I'm going to say, okay, this is weird. And that thing happened. And I was like, okay, I'm going to stop talking about this because <laughs> it just seemed like something was going on that I should not really be aware of. And I, I, don't, I feel like that no one really, you know, I, I've listened, I've read all the articles that, you know, have been done on it, but there seems to be so much there. That is also really suspect to me. I don't know. Maybe it's because it's Haiti that people don't really, I feel like we kind of devalue what happens in Haiti where they'll they'll talk about what happened a hundred years ago, but what's happened like literally in the last year or two, is so crazy. I mean, that was the first assassination of a head of state in the Western Hemisphere in 40 years. Yeah. And now you know, we all
1: kind of forgot about it. I saw your tweet kind of about this, about by it. the way. And, and I thought to myself, you're right. We need to do a follow-up episode. The thing with having a daily, like a twice-a-week show is that there never does seem to be enough time in the day to touch on all these subjects. But you're completely right.
13: Uh, yeah. Well, I, I hope that, you know, because, again, like I think that you're, you are one of the few shows that I think that's willing to kind of uh, go there. And I'm surprised that, you know, that there really has not been a lot in the media um, about this topic. And, you know, and I, I think a lot of it has to do just because it's Haiti that mm-hmm. they don't really think that it matters. But I mm-hmm. think that there's so much that was going on. I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with the run-up to that assassination, but there was a, um, that they were rejecting the vaccine that I think the, who was um, that wanted to um, bring a certain vaccine into Haiti And he was rejecting that vaccine because it wasn't approved in the United States.
1: Mm. Oh, no, I did not know about the vaccine, angle of it.
13: You can go go look at the old New York Times articles. You, You can literally track it like a timeline. And it's actually very insane to me where they were rejecting the vaccine from who? And um, because and they were saying because they wanted to have something that was like approved or something like so whatever they they, they were not they did not want what they what um what what's being given to them. Assassination happens, <clears throat> and literally two weeks later, all of a sudden all these shipments are coming into Haiti, and you can and you can just you know and there and just the whole thing just does not add up. And, you know, again, I, I've never really been a conspiracy theorist person until this COVID stuff happened because there's so many conspiracy theories here. But then the more you talk about them, then people feel like you're connecting dots and, like, maybe you're just going insane. But it's, uh, there's a lot of things there that, that I, I'm just surprised that there's not even anybody in the media who's even, like, asking the questions. You know, and they, uh, the closest that I've seen – was a uh was a Joe Rogan, right? But mm-hmm. I feel like that he goes off on so many other angles that you know, but I, I would I actually feel like somebody like you is probably like I would you know, if, for somebody like you, I would actually value your opinion on like on this topic a lot more than somebody like him. Even though I do like the way he kinda thinks, he's kinda independent thinker, but I feel like you kinda have a different angle that a lot of people don't have. So I I would really be uh I, I really think that it would be something that, you know, I, I would gain value to kind of, you know, hey, can you check, look at the dots and see if you're like reaching the same conclusions that I'm reaching or am I just out here?
1: All right. Well, let's let's try to – I will commit to informing myself on this, and I'll reach out to Pascal Robert, our Haiti expert on the pod. He hasn't been on in a while, and I always love chatting with him and see if he has any insights here as well. I appreciate you um, – keeping this front of mind. I really do. Moeti. Okay. How do you you pronounce your name, by the way?
13: (laughs) You actually got it right. I was surprised. Most people don't get it right. It's Zimbabwean, so it's Moeti. Uh, Moeti. Nice. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool
1: beans. Thank you for calling in. Love this photo of you and your family, by the way. It's really cute. Uh, I appreciate (laughs) it. It's my daughter's birthday, too. (laughs) Oh, happy birthday to your daughter. Uh, What is it? Taurus season? No, no, no. It's Gemini season. Oh, lovely. Love a Gemini. (laughs) <laughs> all right take care all
5: right
1: take care sawson now look i know we're very close to the 11 o'clock mark and i'm gonna push through but there's a part of me that just wants to <laughs> snooze right now but i'm gonna push through swanson we're gonna take you and maybe one other after you so unmute yourself and speak your truths. Swas- swanson all that lead up and you're just gonna leave me hanging you going to just leave me out here like boo-boo the fool? My pants down in these streets, talking to myself, muttering on the sidewalk. All right, I tried. Oh, Bells, I meant to bring you back up from the back after our little, little technical mishap. Here you go, Bells. Second bite of the apple. Hello, hello? Hey, Bells, how are you?
14: This app gives me so much trouble. I'm sorry.
1: No, no worries. We've all been there. What's on your mind this evening?
14: Um man, I wanted to talk about electoralism stuff cuz I have some ideas about things that I don't really hear talked about much, but like following that call it feels so it feels like peanuts.
1: <laughs> Look, it's all it's all in the trail mix of the revolution. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah i guess <laughs> um
14: okay so something i like thinking about because uh, we always think about like what should our litmus test for these politicians be and something that kind of came to mind especially in that interview you did i think her name was amy recently um i do not want a politician in any way say that they are a leader in any aspect anymore Mm. um and there's i've got a few reasons for that one uh like these politicians are human and we have egos right so i don't want you to think like you're some big bad like better than the people sort of deal right like i don't want you to get caught up in your ego in some way or to like worry about what your legacy is going to (coughs) be bernie Um, I don't, I don't. That's reason number one, right? Reason number two, I think if you sort of contort yourself as like this leader, like I'm, you know, like some sort of bulwark, and like you know, I I'm in charge of all these things, and I'm responsible for all this stuff. It like puts all this undue pressure on you. Like you don't. No, no human, especially because our movement is small. Like the left isn't like big. So, and a lot of the shit going on in the world is really bad. So Mm -hmm. you know, it it's it ends up being like a lot of pressure to be right on all of these things, and it's like I don't want you to be, you you don't need to, no no, like human should have to put up with that sort of pressure. Like Mm -hmm. I want you to be able to lean on us as the people, right?
1: Because bells, bells, is there any way you can be a little bit louder? The folks in the chat are saying they're struggling to hear you. Okay,
14: I can. Is this any better?
1: Sounds kind of the same to me. Are you like all, are you up on the mic? Are you
14: I'm like right uh, up on my phone?
1: Okay. That's better. That was a little better.
14: Okay. Okay. Okay.
1: Um,
14: damn, I lost my train of thought.
1: I'm so sorry.
14: (laughs) It's okay. Um,
1: Um, you don't want people to be leaders as a really heavy burden to carry. And it's also like irresponsible and puts them in a situation where they're thinking about their legacy and that's not helpful.
14: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, right. Yeah. I don't want, I I want like a politician to be able to lean on the movement and the people. Right. Because not, not only are, it would be a lot of pressure to, for you to think that like you're by yourself out there in Congress, but also because you're like, you're not, you're literally not a leader. Like as a politician, you need to think of yourself as a tool. You mm-hmm. are the tool for your constituents and if they say hey i want you to do this then you do that that's your job you do what the people tell you to do so um yeah i don't know any t- time i get like i'm going to be a leader and like like charge forward and like t- take on all this responsibility i that to me right away big red flag like mm. like that uh, another th- another thing too that sort of leads into this mm-hmm. is that like, this is especially true with, like, liberals and definitely some leftists out there, but obviously not as much. But, like, people seem to think that voting has, like, the same power as organizing or whatever, or just talking to your coworkers about unionizing or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. those two things are, like, interchangeable in some way. And, and it's totally not. Like, voting is, is way less of a, of a power-like tool than like getting your coworkers or whoever like rallied up and banded together to like fight for whatever it is you need so yeah i, I don't know i'm <laughs> I, I feel like i'm rambling
1: but yeah no i i hear you and i also hear i don't know i'm st- i'm hearing echoes of that initial point that jam made about needing something that provokes a sense of solidarity and kinship between us Sometimes I'm very mixed on the internet. You know, I'm I'm a big fan of Twitter. I know that's an unpopular position, but I really have benefited personally a lot from its democratizing effects. And I still appreciate the ability to, you know, affect discourse in the broader journalism space because journalists are so obsessed and like overly online and all of that. Um, But, you know... (sighs) there's nothing like seeing someone in person. There's nothing like talking face to face. And I think that the gap between some people and me when it comes to, you know, should you talk to conservatives and all of that? It's when I have experiences with folks in real life, like the last call and I was talking about, well, apparently that conversation got all like cut off um, because of audio quirks. Um, But I was talking about talking to this old man in the park who turned out to be Islamophobic and how I handled that. You know, when I have experiences like that, when I think about who these people actually are, I mean, what, his beliefs were monstrous. But, I mean, you're confronted with someone's to- total humanity and you don't react to them the way you would react to some isolated Islamophobic comment on Twitter. It's not as hard to dismiss when it's, you know, a human. You don't feel quite so much like, oh, well, he's just discardable. You kind of, I, I at least feel like I kind of want to engage Because I'd I'd rather him just be convinced to (laughs) to change his mind. Because there's a lot of good stuff there in a human being, you know?
14: Yeah, I definitely, I I think I have that same sort of, like, inclination that, like... (laughs) I can change them. <laughs> <You
1: know>? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, It's really what I'm doing. It's the it's the thirty six year old single gal on me <laughs> shaking my fist at the at the sky and coddling old men in the park <laughs> thinking I can change him. <laughs> oh my god. Oh Bells, you just read the shit out of me. <laughs> I'm dragged. <laughs>
14: I do, I do very much agree with that solidarity point, point. Um, and I know before you've definitely like asked yourself, like, how do you even like con- like like convince people to be able to trust each other? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you how do you like build that um, like solidarity with other people? And I think I brought this up at like a public socialist alternative meeting recently. Mm-hmm. By the way, joined SA because of your podcast. It's the best thing I've ever done. Boop, uh, Everybody, find your local chapter. Anyway. Um, but, yeah, I brought this up at a local meeting thing. And I think what it, what, it's, what it takes is, like, showing that you're willing to do, like, whatever it takes to, like, throw down for your neighbor. Um, and I, I really think this is true like in um in Staten Island with Chris Smalls mm-hmm. and how he um like unionized that place mm-hmm. because like he got fired right like he mm-hmm. just left mm-hmm. he, he didn't have to stay there and like showing up every day after you get fired like that and being like no man I'm here to make sure that you don't have to work in this shitty warehouse like for for the next 15 years of your life like i'm i'm trying to fight for you and this is like the real deal this isn't some performative shtick like i'm i'm jobless right now still trying to help you out
1: yeah um that's such a compelling part of it and if for covid remember it was a covid walkout that he did over not getting protective gear that lasted so long like it, it escalated like they could have just given them masks <laughs> you know what i mean right. and there's something yeah. so heroic about being you know precarious and he continues to not have like steady employment right it's it's amazing
14: yeah i don't i don't know how to like create opportunities like that but i think if anything like that ever lands in somebody's lap they really got to jump on it Like right? I, not necessarily like you get fired so you like continue to organize but like I don't know in it just in some way to show that like you really are willing to throw down and like knowing in yourself that you're that you're ready to throw down when it's it's time like I don't know
1: um, yeah 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 well I think that's look I thinking about Chris Mals's courage and the courage that he got from being bolstered as a part of a community um, and what we can gain from having those ties with each other is a lovely place to stop and kind of mirrors the point that we opened with with jam so i appreciate you all i know this is two hours and often we go for three i've had a little bit of a long travel day and got to get up in the morning and reorient myself for rising but i really appreciate you guys chatting with me as per usual i will always make as i do my sincere request for someone to clip parts of this episode that they thought was most compelling. Maybe next time we're all in here together, just be thinking about the parts of the conversation that you like the best. So you can go back and find it easily in the transcript. A transcript is created as soon as I publish this. Um, and you can clip sections and post them on social media and share them around. I think that more people should know how great this is and how great you guys all are. I appreciate you. I'm sorry.
14: Really quick, I mm-hmm. was trying to clip from
5: mm-hmm. last
1: episode. Mm-hmm. Um,
14: I do not have like the little scissor icon anymore. I don't know where it went. I don't
1: know really how anymore.
14: If if Colin could like, I don't know. Tell me, <laughs> I would love to do it. But I, yeah, I don't. I don't have that little scissor icon anymore. I don't know if it's because I'm an Android or not. But yeah,
1: interesting. Um okay. That's good. That's a good information. Cause I, what it is curious to me that like the number of clips have gotten less. And even though I really, really have been begging recently, there have been zero clips in response to that begging. And I'm like, this, this feels like, this feels like a microaggression. I feel like people are trying to send me a message about this, but if you guys literally don't have the clipping tool, that makes a lot more sense than that you all just secretly or hate listening to me, (laughs) like resenting me and my requests. So I appreciate that Intel. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. All right. Well, On that note, uh, no pressure. I won't take it personally then if you don't clip, but if you can clip, excellent. And I will be following up. Thank you guys uh, once again. Keep the faith and I will see you on Thursday.
3: Chola